Welcome to Ocean Sisters in the United Arab Emirates, where we talk about all things scuba diving and our appreciation for the ocean. We are honoured to welcome Joanna Ruxton, MBE, as our guest speaker on our podcast. After graduating from London University studying marine science, Jo started the first marine programme for WWF in Hong Kong, where she raised her family and was a key advocate for the establishment of the first marine parks there. After returning to live in the UK, she started working for the BBC's Blue Planet. Disappointed with the lack of conservation messages in BBC films, she left in 2008 to work independently to produce the multi-award-winning documentary, A Plastic Ocean, and she founded the charity, Ocean Generation. Jo was awarded an MBE in the 2022 New Year's Honours for Services to Marine Conservation. Elena and I found the talk absolutely inspirational and we hope that you feel empowered to make a difference by this special interview. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Ocean Sisters and leave us a review. Our podcast is available across all major platforms. Joanna Ruxton, MBE. How does it feel saying those three letters after the end of your name? <laughs> it's still quite unreal. Um, it was a very long journey to... Uh, to that date. Um, my grandfather had the MBE and we were always very proud of him. Um, but I never thought <laughs> that I'd get one as well. So yes, it was it was very special and a very special time as well. Yeah. Wait, when did you first start diving? I started in 1974 at university, uh, couldn't afford a wetsuit, they were 16 pounds and they came as a kit and you had to glue them together and then put tape over them. No way. Yeah, so I did all the training in the pool and then didn't go diving and then I went off to live in Hong Kong. Uh, we came back uh, for a holiday in the UK and spent um, some time in Kenya and the, we had a little cottage that belonged to friends and it was they could use the hotel facilities and they were teaching diving in there and the reef of course was just right there and so I went and said that I'd um you know I'd done all the the work I had nothing to prove I had so they basically gave me a couple of hours training in the pool and the next thing I know I'm on the reef but it was a bit of a cowboy outfit I mean my my second dive we were at 25 meters we had J valves on our tanks um we had no no so we had no contents gauge no depth gauge and the person took us in I mean I, I'm a BZAC trained diver so it's always one-to-one -one with an instructor this is one instructor to six novices took us down to 25 meters which point one of the guys panicked zoomed to the surface instructor says to us wait here and went off after him and five of us are sitting there five novices at 25 meters I'm not waiting here <laughs> <laughs> went up. Luckily, breathing out as we went, because that could have been burst lungs all around. Um, yeah, so that that was uh, an interesting one. An experience. One. Yeah, so, so I then when... decided I would, when I got home to Hong Kong, I would start again, and I started the whole BZAC thing again, and yeah. then became an instructor. But yeah. when did you, like, know this was your passion? It had always been my passion since I was a little girl. I mean, all my, you know, I loved things about mermaids and books about mermaids and the water babies and that sort of thing it was a, 
it was a big thing, but I didn't learn to swim until I was seven. And that's when we went to live in Singapore. And um, I just loved it. I was in the water all the time. And uh, and then we, when I look back on my life, I've lived on seven islands. Uh, well, if you count UK. So uh, six islands in five different countries. So the sea has always been very much part of my life. And um, I get quite claustrophobic away from it. I feel you. I do mm. feel you. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> I need to be by the sea. Yes. I, I mean, I've done lots of traveling around Australia and, um, you know, America and, you know, the big continents, but going to the middle, I don't do it. I went to Nepal one time for a WWF conference. And I just, I, it was amazing. I mean, we were up in, in the national park and there was just so much going on, but I had this unease and I realized it was missing being by the sea. And it happened again. I went to a fabulous wedding in India. We'd gone into Delhi and I don't know where I got my, my geography wrong, but I thought I was much closer to the sea and I got the same <laughs> feeling again. So I then didn't even know where am I sort of thing. But, oh my God, I'm miles away. And, and that's uh, that's what did it. So yes, I would not like oh, to travel to Central America. I, if I go to Alice Springs, it's gonna be it's gonna have to be quick in and out. Actually, been diving in the UAE or the Arabian Gulf? Have you actually been I, here? Yes, I have. I've I've dived in the UAE and. Um, I, I dived out from Oman. Okay, how did you the find it? Uh, <laughs> the UAE was a very personal experience, actually, because um, my father died in an accident in the UAE, and um, I had gone to dive on that particular wreck. Um, and the day we went out, we had horrendous weather. And even though we did a, a one-hour circular search, we didn't find it. So I will go back. Um, Oman was amazing. Um, I think I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a contrast really with what's going on. You know, you look at you look at the development that's happening there, and goodness knows what's what's going into the ocean from um, all of those new buildings and all the reclamation that's gone on. Um, I don't know enough about it to to uh, to actually name particular things <laughs> that you know, have, have happened as a consequence, but um, I'm, I'm, I would like to think there'd be more consideration for the environment because it is a beautiful location. And when you get, certainly going around to Oman, it's such a, a difference from, from Dubai, you know, it's, yeah. it's much more back to nature. And certainly when, when we were there and only did a couple of dives, um, it was very beautiful, and I'd, I'd love to think that if that's not happening in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, um, you know, then the, there's there's got to be some way to to bring it back and to protect what's still there. Exactly. I mean, you would have a, a dicky fit. I I kite surf. I'm a kite surf instructor as well, and we go down to this place in Oman called um, Bar Al Hikman, mm -hmm. and. I ended up, excuse me, I ended up doing a beach cleanup because they clean up certain bits of where we're teaching, but then you literally go up a hundred meters up where, and it's like, oh my gosh, fishing line, um, waste from the fishermen. And it's like, guys, and it, it, you stand there and you try and educate them that this is our ocean, you know, and um, they need to start cleaning. And before long, they actually were picking up the rubbish with us. 
Um, so I just hope that because I, I, I do kind of like a little bit down there and a bit back in Dubai. And I'm like, I'm hoping that that they can kind of like follow on what we started. Mm. You know, um, it's like Dubai. I mean, Chloe and I, we do debris aware dives <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> And the things that we find. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been doing that since the 80s and, you know, long before plastic became anything like the issue it is now. And, um, yeah, I know what you mean. And the, the things you, you discover that people just think are going to be... I get Elaine to pick some of the things up. I'm like, <laughs> you can touch that yeah. one. Um, I did. Um, um, I, we're, we're not big into beach cleaning. And the reason we're not is because... It seems to me when we started out in the UK, we were trying to get other NGOs to collaborate. And what what was being done is sort of annual beach cleans. And, and that seemed to be the approach Well, we're cleaning the beach. And I've always thought, yes, clean it. And, I, and you know, I, I live right by the sea and I've got my, my family and my grandchildren here. And, you know, we're always picking things up off the beach. Um but that's not going to solve it. And where do you put it? And, you know, we used to do lots of beach cleans in Hong Kong and you'd leave it all in a pile. But then the typhoon would come and it would all be back. And, oh, we don't collect it till a week on Tuesday. And you're thinking, oh. Yeah. Um, so it, it's got to be approaching the other end. You know, if you're talking to the fishermen, it's why are they letting this go? Why are they cutting nets free? Why are they disposing of their line so that it will wash up on the beach or, you know, worse, stay in the ocean? Um, it's, 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 so much more about education and prevention because as much as you clean up it, it it's not going to stop it going there and one of the things that i find very annoying is um people who talk who make things out of they call it ocean plastic or ocean bound plastic but often what they're collecting is just the pet the valuable plastic which has um, value in the recycling truck chain or you can do more with it because it's clear and it's good quality um, but then the rest of it just gets left. So they're actually picking up the bottles and leaving all the horrible stuff that can't easily be recycled. And, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, greenwashing around this. Um, but but I, I think it, it's got to start with education at all levels and, and all communities just to stop it getting there. So in terms of um, like what solutions or technology are there, Anything that can help with the problem on a larger scale until we get a hold of reducing our plastic waste? Yes, there, there is new technology. And in fact, the first plant is being built um, up in Teesside right now. Um, if you look up Mura technology, it's a, um, a chemical method of recycling. So there's no burning. Um, very little goes into the atmosphere. So they heat up water to supercritical temperatures to break apart the, um, the molecules um, of the plastic. And they can actually take the chemicals out, which then it can be used again. And that plastic is turned into clean oil because plastic's already been refined um, because we need oil and we need more plastics and we need plastics for medicine and all the good things that that we need it for, you know sunglasses although i do have some sunglasses made out of fishing line um no which way. yes look up waterhole they're amazing um but you know we, we do know okay a pair of scissors here plastic handle plastic handles um <laughs> plugs you know we need plastic but we don't need it for ridiculous things like lighters that you can't refill or butter dishes that when your butter runs out you buy another one it's you know all the silly things that we use plastic for um we don't need that but we need it 
And uh, two of my granddaughters were born very prematurely. And I think without the even the single use plastic that was used to, you know, to, to allow them to breathe, to feed them, to bring medication to them, those little girls might not be in my life. Um, and, and, you know, I, I thank God for plastic every day. So it's not a it's not the enemy, but it's the ridiculous idea that we called it disposable makes people think it disappears I and mean, it doesn't. done a complete um, career change. I'd been working in Hong Kong in ocean conservation with WWF. Um, and when the time came to leave Hong Kong, Blue Planet was just pulling a team together. Um, and the gap that they had was somebody with the diving um, qualification and experience, um, somebody who knew about corals and somebody who had contacts in the Asia Pacific region. So I kind of rocked up at the right time but it was a complete career change for me. And I had to start at the bottom, having been kind of at the top of my game where I'd been, it was um, a, a bit of a career nosedive. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously I did have some incredible experience working with the BBC. So I started as a researcher and had to work my way up. So I it was doing the research and directing the sequences that I was sent out on uh, location. And um, yeah, and then, you know, another journey up the ladder from that. Did you get to meet David Attenborough? Or have you met him? I, yes, I've, I've met him a lot. I've, I've worked with him quite a lot. I mean, he's he's in the film that I did after I left the BBC. And um, and actually, it's because of him that Blue Planet 2 put plastic in their environmental film. Um, mm. Because I, I was still at the BBC when that team was coming together. And uh, I said, you know, if you're doing an environmental one, you've got to cover plastic. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but our film with him came out in the April and um, he'd seen, I think it was the fine cut version of their environmental film and actually asked why plastic wasn't in it and suggested they watched a plastic ocean. So um, that was that was good because it really helped get the message out there. And, you know, I thank him for that. But at the same time, when I think, of, you know, I was often bleating on about conservation issues and why we needed to include them in the films I was doing with BBC but it was always a case of well people aren't interested in conservation and uh, you know they just want to they just want to be entertained and I thought well how do you know if you don't tell them and looking at the effect that that had with Blue Planet 2 just putting a 10 minute piece in makes me think that if we'd actually put something out about plastic when the first Blue Planet came out which was 2001 we'd be another 21 years ahead of ourselves in um, tackling that problem. And maybe it would never have got so bad. Maybe we'd have had the original Blue Planet effect and not have to wait for Blue Planet 2. Yeah. What's your um, next project that you're working on? Is there one well, in the pipeline? Yes, there is. But I, 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 um, I'm the founder of a charity as well, Ocean Generation. And so always involved with programs working, particularly in this case with young people, but not exclusively, because I do feel that people of a certain age and being one of them, um, we still have a lot to give and a lot that we want to learn. And I think that learning keeps you, keeps your mind more focused. Um, so we work with um, everybody who is interested in learning more about ocean conservation and we work with um, youth programs and schools, um, but also corporations. So it's very much about 
um, bringing the ocean into the classroom. It's very much about making people understand the connection that we have with the ocean and why it is our life support system and why we cannot afford for the ocean to get sick. And I think once people realize how connected we are, then they might respect it a bit more. So our work is very much along those lines. It's a much more positive work now. I mean, the plastics one was quite negative. It was like, this is a complete disaster. We've got to do something. Whereas the work we're doing now is the ocean is an amazing uh, amazing partner for us. We're all connected to it. The, the ocean can tackle climate change if we treat it properly. It can feed us. It can provide um, leisure and and sport for us. And and there are so many reasons why the ocean needs to be protected. And the point is, it's not too late. And that's yeah. why we call the ocean generation because anybody that's alive on the planet now can be part of the solution. So that's one thing. But I am also working. Um, on another documentary, which is all about hope for the ocean and very much at the early fundraising stage uh, for that. So um, what's been happening on the planet has not been assisting the fundraising stage, but uh, I'm not the sort of person that gives up. Well done. Yeah, we need we need people like you and like us. We, it's word of mouth and it's also about um, educa education. And by starting with children in schools, um, and then they go home and tell their parents. And then before you know it, um, the education, it's the, the word has spread. Mm. But I still, I still feel personally as a diver that it's still a lot that needs to be done. So yes, um, there's, yeah. yeah, there's, there's always a lot to be done. But also, I think it's important that people don't underestimate the power that they can have as an individual. Yeah. And certainly some of the kids, I mean, when I worked with WWF, and we were doing education programs, I used to think, you know, we need to spend more time on the people that, that have the money and the policymakers and everything else. You know, we, we yes, we've got to educate the children, but we don't have time to wait for them to grow up and get into positions of responsibility. I don't think that now. I am amazed at how powerful children can be to influence yeah. their families, their teachers, to embarrass them sometimes into doing <laughs> the right thing because they, they get it straight away. You know, they haven't they spent years thinking that plastic's disposable. You tell them and it's like, well, what are we doing then? You know, you've got to yeah, stop exactly. doing this and don't buy that. And um, yeah, the feedback that we get from parents and teachers uh, is is very heartwarming. So um, yeah, we 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 it, it's all age groups, but the next generation uh, is an important one. The one thing that does get me though is when older teenagers start pointing fingers at my generation, and uh, you know I've I've worked hard all my life in in conservation, and um, it's the reason I left the BBC. You know, yes, it was lovely to make people realise the wonders of the ocean, but not to assume that they're everything's fine, and that's what our films were were depicting the ocean to be. But, um, you know, we, we didn't demand um, iPads and aircon. I mean, I lived in Singapore and we didn't have air conditioning. You didn't think about it. And, you know, there's all these things that are expected now um, with people and designer clothes and all of that, you know, um, needing to be entertained and this I'm bored thing. And, you know, I kind of think, actually, let's just not point fingers at each other. Let's work to get this right, because we know what the problem is. We know how we can fix it. We know that we can all take a role in that. And I think that's that's what it's about, not, not shouting. So you have recently had a ship, the Aurora Expeditions, dedicated um, 
to you along with four other no 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 not the ship no yes yes they've they've named the decks after female conservationists and um yes I do I do have a deck and that is <laughs> unbelievable actually I'm going on it in in um in February on an expedition to Antarctica and I'm very much looking forward to that wow do you mm. need a dive master <laughs> <laughs> believe me we have divers on board <laughs> highly qualified I can't go though I can't go diving and the reason is that um they need you to have had I think it's something like 36 dives in temperatures from minus one to three, which I haven't done. Uh, okay. And um, 25 of those dives have to be leading up to February. Well, I won't get that opportunity. Well, get yourself into into West Wales, down to St. Martin's Haven and St. Brides, because that's where I used to dive. And it's dry. It's not going to be minus one, is it? <laughs> it's just cold. It's still cold. <laughs> I'm actually training because I'm determined to go in in my swimming costume, you know, just no for way. a swim. And I have a lovely friend here who has an organization, well, an outfit called Wild Spa. So they have um, wood wood fired um, hot tubs and sauna and stuff like that. But they also have an ice bath and they have a barrel that they can actually set the temperature to. So at the moment I've got to six degrees and I'm very happy to go and sit in it and uh, can can get straight in and I'm fine. Wow. It's going to be gradually taken down to two before I go so that uh, I'll be used to it. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, I, you know, I was raised in the tropics and most of my diving with the BBC was always warm. And I always said there's no way I will ever go swimming in British waters. Um, but I decided to. And uh, in Newquay alone, I mean, there were, I think, something like 600 people in the blue tits which is the yeah. ladies that I swim with and uh, it's gone up to something like 1300 now and uh, I you know most people are swimming every day and honestly if I was offered now a swim on a beach in the Maldives or a swim on a beach in Cornwall I would choose Cornwall every time because the well-being the buzz the endorphins that you get from it yeah. is is phenomenal. And I can't believe I'm saying it because I was the world's <laughs> biggest swim. I mean, below 24, I didn't want a wetsuit. I wanted a dry suit. Whereas now, straight in, love it. Are you, Are you one of the... Do you wear any wetsuit? No. I, I, in the winter, oh, I wear neoprene socks. Neoprene socks and neoprene gloves in the winter. Okay. And it's a Christmas dive, a Christmas swim, isn't it? Yeah. Always. And, Christmas well, no. swim. Yeah. yeah, but every day. Not, not just Christmas and yeah. New Year, every day. But at Christmas, we get all the kids down and everything. Yeah. And then, yeah. 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 So um, that, that swim was awesome because you just, we would just be in there swimming and um, you see all the ones that, that couldn't do it, that were trying. <laughs> and it was, it was quite nice, actually. Yeah. Well, they so. run in and run out. And it's like, <laughs> you will never enjoy it if you do that. You've got to get beyond that two minutes and let it flow. And that's what <laughs> and I didn't do before. <laughs> Not awesome. quite there yet. I think I'm still a warm water diver yet to be converted. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I no longer think there's any such thing. I mean, I, I, you know, if you're diving and you're going to be in for a long time and you're going way below the thermocline, then yeah, use a wetsuit and all the rest of it. It's quite funny because the divers go in from the same place where we often swim, and they're all bundled up in their dry suits and hoods, and we just saunter past in our cozies and get straight in. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes later we're coming out and they're still doing all these tests and they just think uh sorry my my dry suit was my savior i'm going to be very honest diving in mm -hmm. england it was mm -hmm. it was my lifesaver because otherwise i couldn't stay down too long 
yeah so no I agree I, th I think I think if you're diving you know here then dry. I don't know about the summer though mind you I, I'd uh, no we'll see it's but my dry suit's coming to Antarctica as well because I will be snorkeling <laughs> so you're gonna take your dry suit to snorkel and and swim in, in my costume yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it absolutely love it <laughs> as long as you're going to be in the ocean who cares exactly because yeah? <laughs> I went to Antarctica 21 years ago and uh I had my dry suit already because I was supervising the diving was determined to do so and um, we got to check in and Oasis checked in just before us at the same thing not that we were going first class or anything it was just not many people were heading to where we were heading and the girl got in quite a fluster and of excitement and ended up not putting a tag on my bag, my dive bag. And um, got, we got down to Argentina and uh, my dive bag wasn't there. And um, I, I have rheumatoid arthritis, so I, I can't, I, 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 there's lots I can't do. I can't point my feet, for example. So finning is, is an issue because, you know, I'm like this. Yeah. Um, and also I can't point my toes to get it into welly boots. So um, I had soft feet on mine, and um, anyway, we, we got into we were on the Royal Navy um, ship, the the Endurance. We were filming from that, and um, um, they were offering me dry suits, but none of them none of them would work because of my feet. So I, I missed out. And then when I got this opportunity, I thought, yeah, at last I can go diving in Antarctica, but I can't <laughs> unless I go and <laughs> sit up in the North Pole for the next, uh, you know, and do lots of diving up there. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Ocean Generation is working to free the ocean from human threats within a generation. Yes, so oh, we originally started, <laughs> well, we originally started just looking at plastic as the ocean threat. And we, I didn't know how long it was going to take to get people on board with that thought. Um, I'm amazed at how quickly the message went. And I would say that was very much about the film because it's been shown in more than 70 countries and translated into 15 languages. And it did particularly well on Netflix and at the festivals and things. So it really surprised me that a film about plastic pollution would spread to such a wide audience. I just thought it would be the likes of us that would watch it. And that wasn't the case. You know, it's gone into parliaments and schools. And so often when I meet somebody new, I find out that they've seen it because somebody introduces me and then talks about it. Oh, I saw that film. And I think, wow, did you? Because <laughs> I look at it and think, oh. But anyway, um, but what happened over the years um, is a lot more people began to look at the problem of plastic. You know, legislation was changing, alternatives were changing, solutions were coming in. And yes, we're nowhere near solved yet, but we actually want to look at other ocean issues. And I realise now that the power that a film can have to change people's hearts and minds. I actually think that inside, the majority of people on this planet are good and will care if they know A, what the problem is and B, how they as an individual can help. And one of the things we say at Ocean Generation is, we don't want a few people going completely plastic free, completely vegan, completely only ever ride a bike or walk, you know, all of these things. We want, millions of people doing something because that is going to be a much bigger effect yeah. than just you know a handful of people just being amazing 
Um, and I think once once people realize that, you know, the little changes they can make um, that together will be massive. And also, I think it's time for um, a positive message. And that's what the new film will have, because we're bombarded with bad news now. And, uh, you know, e even the, the films that have come out since, uh, you know, ours, it, it's, you know, having been told that people aren't interested in conservation, they really are. But it's almost gone too far the other way. It's all doom and gloom environmental messages. And, you know, there's no point doing this. And, you know, it's it's, it's and it's not true. You know, it's, it's like watching the news. You never get any good news. It's always bad news, bad news. And we need more than that. You know, people need to understand this is a time we're part of this incredible time. And together we can make all the difference that we need. Um, for future generations so that's what um, that's what our work's about so last question um mm. what can we do as individuals to contribute i would look at our website oceangeneration.org because there are many things that can be done um it, it depends what you're looking at plastic there's a whole load of uh, information on there that you can do just recognizing the life cycle of the plastic item that you've just bought is there something else you can buy can you reuse something else it's disposable is it really do you need that is there something else you can do that's an easy one um, but understanding the connection that we all have to climate change the fact now that we've all got this problem with with oil particularly in this country people are suddenly saving energy left right and center that's something we could have been all the time if you're in a hot country turn the aircon temperature up. If you're in a cold one, turn the heating down. All these little changes, the cumulative effect will be huge. And just understanding what your own carbon footprint is, understanding the facts and uh, and doing what you can and telling others about it as well. Shop locally, um, buy fruit and, and vegetables that are in season. You know, don't expect it to come from the other side of the world wrapped in plastic. You know, there's there, there's so many little things that we can dip in and out of. Young people certainly can sign up for our Wavemaker courses, which teaches them about sustainability at work, not just their own careers, but whatever career they've chosen, how to bring an element of that into their own office and, and uh, amongst their colleagues. So there is a lot and we're tackling it, but we're tackling it with a very positive view. So, Joe, that, that, that Wave Rider course that wave you just mentioned... Makers. Wavemaker, wave sorry, I've got... I've, I'm sorry, I'm well away. Um, Wavemaker, where can they find that? On our website, you can you can click There's onto it. Actually, a link there is there. there. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. Okay. And also for teachers, we have amazing resources. All they have to do is sign up for them, and uh, and we're we're um, we're we're actually working um, uh, with the government of Oman to uh, for our next uh, education program as well. So that will be the yes, next uh, phase of our education. So yes, to get it into schools wherever we can. I'm watching this less than a minute thing. We're going to get to yes. cut off. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Lovely and, to meet you. Um, yeah, it's like I can talk to you forever. Can, uh, yeah. Enjoy your trip. I will do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Sisters podcast with your co-hosts, Chloe Griffin and Elaine Foggett. We want to give a special shout out to Kathleen Russell at Al Mahara Diving Centre who introduced us to Joe Ruxton. We found the interview extremely insightful and inspiring. For those that want to know more about the charity Ocean Generation, please visit www.oceangeneration.org.
formerly known as Plastic Oceans. If you'd like to hear about specific topics or have a suggestion for a guest speaker, please follow us on Instagram, Ocean Sisters UAE, and send us a direct message. Tune in next week as Elena and I talk all about boat etiquette and tips and tricks of what to do when you're on the dive boat. That's all for this episode. See you next time.